Welcome to The Commentaries, a podcast series from TAN in which you'll learn how to read and understand history's greatest Catholic works from today's greatest Catholic scholars. In every series of The Commentaries, your expert host will be your personal guide to not just read the book, but to live the book, shining the light of its eternal truths into our modern darkness. Visit TANCommentaries.com to get your copy of the book and to subscribe for access to all the great reading plans, new episodes, bonus content, and exclusive deals for listeners of the commentaries. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the commentary series on the Confessions of St. Augustine. I'm Dr. Paul Thigpen, an author and retired professor of historical theology. This is the 10th episode of our series, and we're using the tan edition of the book. Today we explore Book 7, chapters 17 through 21, in which St. Augustine focuses on his deepening understanding of Jesus Christ, our mediator with God. Let's begin with words from his prayer. Truly, O Lord, you abide for everlasting, nor are you angry with us forever, for you have mercy upon dust and ashes. Amen. At this point, Augustine had come far in his spiritual journey. He had left behind the exotic and alien speculations of the Manichees, and he could now affirm what we know as the opening words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. Echoing the words of St. Paul to the Romans, he had discovered, I was then most certain that your invisible things from the creation of the world can be seen and grasped by means of the things you have made, even your everlasting power and Godhead. And he had at least a vague notion of God as a holy trinity of persons, learned from the scriptures and the homilies of St. Ambrose. But he still had far to go. One continuing obstacle was the desire of the flesh, the attachment to things of this world, when his mind soared to the heights of contemplation of God's greatness and loveliness, the young man was soon pulled down again to earth. I was struck with wonder that I loved you now, he tells God, and not a phantasm instead of you, as had been the case when he embraced the Manichees. I did not stand still to delight in my God, but I was swept up to you by your beauty, and soon I was cast down from you by my own weight, with a groan, I hurtled down to the lower things. This weight was the habit of my flesh. But the memory of you was still with me, nor did I doubt at all that there was one to whom I should cleave, or that I was not yet one who would so cleave. For the corruptible body weighs upon the spirit, and this earthly dwelling presses the mind down as it muses on many things. Once again, he confesses that his heart was not united to will one thing, to desire God above all. Instead, it was fractured and scattered in the pursuit of many lesser things. Augustine describes here his intellectual journey at the time as one long ascent from earth to heaven, leaping from each level of reality to the next, as his contemplation of the nature of things pressed him upward toward God from what is changeable to what is unchangeable. Meditating on the beauty of things around him that appeal to the senses, 
he went on to meditate on the senses themselves, and then on to the soul to which the senses reported their information, then on to the power of reasoning, the higher part of the soul, the judge to what was thought as true or false, right or wrong, then on finally to the light, the truth above them all, that made reasoning and judgment possible. Searching now, he recalls, into what led me to approve of the beauty of bodily things, whether of heaven or of the earth, what solid truth was at hand for me, I had found the unalterable and true eternity of truth above my changeable mind. Augustine goes on to echo the words of St. Paul to the Romans. Thus indeed did I catch sight of those invisible things of yours that are understood according to the things that are made. But I was not yet strong enough to fix my gaze there. In my infirmity, I was beaten back and I returned to my old habits of thought. All I brought away was the memory, loving and longing for what it had, so to speak, caught the aroma of, the food I could not yet eat. Such lovely, haunting imagery will resonate with many readers who know what it means to reason their way to a conviction that God is real, and even to catch a glimpse of Him that stirs the heart with yearning, and who find themselves too weakened by old habits, either mental or physical, to pursue Him ardently. That can be true of spiritual seekers on their way to Christian faith, and can also be true of Christians striving to grow in holiness. I love the way Augustine speaks of the aroma of food he could not yet eat. The allusion to the Eucharist should not be overlooked. At the heart of the problem for him at that time was a gaping hole in his understanding of God that could not be filled by reason alone. It could be filled only by a self-revelation of God that would take the young man far beyond reason though not contrary to reason. Augustine, you see, had not yet come to understand rightly other declarations that now appear in the Creed, those that tell about the Incarnation. The pagan Greek philosophers and the saints' naked powers of reason had nothing to tell him about how God became man in Jesus Christ. Then I sought a way, Augustine confesses, to build up my strength to be fit to enjoy you, and I did not find it until I embraced the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who is above all things, God, blessed forevermore, calling me and saying, I am the way of truth and the life, mingling the food which I was not hardy enough to take with the flesh, for the word was made flesh, that your wisdom through which you made all things might give milk to our infancy. Do you need evidence that by the time he wrote this book, Augustine's mind had been deeply steeped in Scripture? Just consider the evidence right here. In this single sentence, he alludes to at least nine biblical passages in seven biblical books. 1 Timothy, the Gospel of John, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Hebrews, Proverbs, and Colossians. That's the sign of a man, to use St. Paul's words to the Colossians, who lets the word of Christ dwell in him richly. And if we want God's truth to transform our lives, as it did for Augustine, we should fervently strive to do the same. Was it simple ignorance then, abetted by fleshly desires, that kept the young man from understanding Jesus and his role as mediator? Augustine is convinced that pride had a role to play as well. 
For I was not yet a humble man, holding fast to the humble Jesus, my God, nor did I know what lesson his infirmity had to teach us. But your word, the eternal truth, exalted on high over all the highest parts of your creation, lifted up to himself those who were brought low, while amid the lowest parts he built for himself a humble dwelling from our clay, by which he topples from themselves those who must be brought low to draw them to himself, healing their swollen pride and nourishing their love, lest they go farther abroad and trusting to themselves. So might they go, weak, seeing before their feet divinity weakened by participating in the robe of skin we wear, then, utterly spent, they might cast themselves upon it, so that as it arises, it would raise them up too. Only the humble person can hold fast to the humble Jesus. Augustine, like so many of us, was led astray by believing he could trust in himself to make his way to God on this spiritual journey. But the weak human nature of Jesus Christ, joined to the all-powerful nature of God himself, shows us the way through his humility. He descended from heaven, built a humble dwelling from our clay, and now ascends again to heaven. The only way for us to rise with him is to repent and embrace him so that our pride is healed and our love for God can be nurtured to grow and mature. Instead of trusting in our own strength, we must cast ourselves upon Jesus, the God-man, so that as he ascends to heaven, he can carry us with him. Of course, Augustine had learned some things about Christ ever since his childhood. But again, as with so many of us whose faith formation was weak, his conception of the incarnation of the Son of God had been woefully lacking and even influenced by heretical teachings. I conceived of my Lord Christ, he confesses, only as a man of wisdom, so outstanding, that by his divine care for us, he seemed to merit the same eminence of authority as a teacher. Even so, he adds, what sacred mystery there might be in this word made flesh. I had not the slightest inkling. Augustine had known enough scripture and had come to trust its divine authority, that he wasn't misled by erroneous claims that Jesus was not truly human, as the Docetist heresy alleged, or not fully human, as the Polinarian heresy claimed. The Gospels made it clear that Jesus was truly, fully human in their reports about his words and deeds and even his feelings. If these things written about him were false, Augustine had concluded, the truth of everything else would be put in jeopardy and nothing would be left in those books to trust in for the salvation of mankind. But because the writings are true, I acknowledged in Christ a man in full, not just a human body or a soul along with the body, but without a human mind, but a very man. Our contemporary culture tends to disdain the word heresy and to reject the very concept. But Augustine stands with the ancient church in seeing the importance of identifying and warning against teaching that departs from the apostolic tradition. He echoes the words of St. Paul to the Corinthians when he observes, for in refuting the heretics, which your church believes and what sound doctrine maintains is made to stand out. For even heresies are of use so that among those who are weak in the faith, those who are approved will be made manifest.
even though the young Augustine had recognized the error of teaching that Jesus Christ was not fully human, he admits now that this understanding of the Incarnation still fell far short. He had judged Christ, as he recalls, to be preferred above all others, not because he was the person of truth, but because of some great excellence of human nature in him and a more perfect participation in wisdom. Like many of our contemporaries, and perhaps we ourselves at some point, the young man had concluded that Jesus Christ was an exemplary human being who taught with preeminent wisdom, but nothing more. He saw Christ as a teacher of truth instead of recognizing that Christ was God, eternal truth himself in the flesh. In focusing on the scriptures, however, and especially the letters of St. Paul, the young Augustine began to understand more fully and dive more deeply into the mystery of the Incarnation. Most eagerly then, he recalls, did I lay hold of the venerable pen of your spirit, and above all, the Apostle Paul. And all those questions faded away, and all their eloquence showed me one single face, and I learned to rejoice and tremble. Why this seemingly paradoxical response? He rejoiced at the goodness and wisdom and holiness of God, but he trembled when that knowledge revealed his own sin by contrast. He confesses, For you are just, O Lord, but we have sinned and done what is evil. We have carried on in wickedness, and your hand has weighed heavy upon us. Justly have we been handed over to that old sinner, the prince of death, who induced our will to become like unto his, who did not stand in your truth. Again, echoing the declarations of St. Paul, the young Augustine had cried out to God, Wretch that he is, what shall man do? Who shall deliver him from the body of this death? Only your grace, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is so much more than a good man, an exemplary teacher. He is, in the words of the Creed, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. For our sake he came down from heaven and became man. He suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day. The young man who would one day be proclaimed by the church the doctor of grace, was coming to see that hope is possible despite the terrifying prospect of God's justice encountering our sin. But our only hope is divine mercy. Augustine recalls that as he meditated on Scripture, I found that every truth I read there was uttered with commendation of your grace. St. Paul, he observes, admonishes us not only to see God, but to hold fast to him, so that we may be healed. And that healing is a gratuitous gift. Let's conclude now with a prayer from the saint. Father, let the secrets of your word be open to me when I knock. I beg this of you through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son. He is the one I seek in your books. Amen. This has been an episode of The Commentaries, a podcast brought to you by TAN. To follow the show, study more of the greatest Catholic classics, and to support the commentaries and other great free content from TAN, visit tancommentaries.com to subscribe and use coupon code COM25 to get 25% off your next order, including the confessions and countless more spiritual works to deepen your interior life and guide you to heaven.